You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirconish right here in the middle. This is the Smirconish podcast for independent minds. Greetings from Midtown Manhattan. Greetings more specifically from Hudson Yards near the mouth of the Lincoln Tunnel. I'm at the CNN headquarters today. More importantly, I am straight across the street from Peloton. When I go to the men's room and look out the window, I think I'll be able to see Hannah Corbin. At least I hope so. <laughs> mean, Thank you, TC. I'm here all week. No, actually, I'm here only today. Meanwhile, back home in Philadelphia, the magazine of record, that would be Philadelphia Magazine, just named me one of the 76 most powerful people in the city. It is a subjective listing, of course. It's one of those every couple of year rankings. I won't lie to you. It's nice to receive that level of recognition. I'd rather be on the list than missing from the list of the city's most powerful. So I want to make sure that I thank the Academy. A friend of mine emailed yesterday, an out-of-town friend, and she said, congratulations on making the list. You deserve to be higher than 73 of 76. To which I responded, I think it's an alphabetical listing, but it is not an alphabetical listing. Um, And I doubt I belong. I mean, in all seriousness, I, I doubt I belong on a list of the most powerful residents of this city and the surrounding area. Frankly, the guy who is number 76, you'll have to get the magazine if you're curious, and who I know well, he deserves to be number one. If he's in the mix, he deserves to be number one. He doesn't deserve to be three slots removed from me. Or maybe he should be number two. Because I've said before that any honest listing of power in the city of Philadelphia needs to recognize David L. Cohen, now our ambassador to Canada, and I would have said this before he was the ambassador to Canada, uh, as the most powerful person in our city. Think about it. Who's the most powerful person in your city, wherever it is you reside? Person number one is pretty darn impressive. Person number one is pretty darn impressive. Her name is Caitlin. She goes by Katie Carrico. Caitlin or Katie Carrico, Philadelphia Magazine says, is the most powerful person in our area. And who could argue with that assessment when you know that she is a 66-year-old scientist, resides in the Philly Burbs. She lives in Jenkintown, for those who are local to me. The daughter of a butcher, I love this story, born in Hungary, 
wanted to be a scientist as a kid, even though as a kid she'd never met a scientist. Here in the States, her academic career sputtered for a long time. She she uh, left Temple University, went to Penn, didn't look like she was going to make it at Penn, then had a chance encounter with someone else, and it put her on a different trajectory. She and an immunologist named Dave Weissman are credited with research in mRNA that led to the Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna COVID vaccines. From a New York Times profile of her recently, quote, for her entire career, Dr. Carrico has focused on messenger RNA or mRNA, the genetic script that carries DNA instructions to each cell's protein-making machinery. She was convinced mRNA could be used to instruct cells to make their own medicines, including vaccines. She deserves a great deal of credit for the fact that we are where we are with regard to the pandemic. Yeah, now that's now that's a number one in terms of power, power well beyond the city of Philadelphia. But thinking about who's powerful at home has caused me to think about who's powerful abroad and globally. Who's the most powerful person on the planet? Think about it for a moment. The most powerful man or woman on the planet is who? I would argue that it's not Joe Biden. It is not our commander in chief. It is not Putin. It is not she. It is not Bezos. It is not even Elon Musk, who, by the way, as of today, is singularly worth more than ExxonMobil. Come on, you know where I'm going with this. If I'm ruling out Biden and Xi and Putin and Musk and Bezos, then who am I arguing is the most powerful person on the planet? Zuckerberg. Without a doubt, it is Mark Zuckerberg. It is such an unbelievable story how this, you know, geeky Ivy League undergrad looking to meet girls and using the Harvard Facebook computer version, builds a business that today has 3.6 billion users and shapes the world debate like nobody else. The scale of his influence is unprecedented and frightening on some levels. And that's my conclusion after doing a lot of reading in the last 24 hours about these so-called Facebook pages. And now, no less than a consortium of journalists and media outlets are working together because there's so much information. I think they recognize no one outlet can effectively cover all that there is now in the public domain about Facebook. I'm looking at Brian Stelter's Reliable Sources newsletter today. He said last week, the number of American news outlets with access to internal Facebook documents supplied to the SEC by Francis Haugen stood at 17. Those outlets from CNN to The New York Times to Wired and Politico agreed to a Monday morning embargo, which is why more than 50 stories all came out on the same day meaning yesterday. And if you go to Smirconish.com or if you receive my newsletter, you see some of this reporting today. There are many, many more stories now in the works. The Guardian 
has now joined the consortium, CNBC, the New York Post. Ben Smith of the New York Times tweeted that the competing yet coordinating newsrooms are keeping in touch via Slack. This is like unprecedented, a combined media effort, indeed a consortium, all working together because there's such information that they think has value. The AP says the following, each member of the consortium pursued its own independent reporting on the document contents and their significance. Every member also has the opportunity to attend group briefings to gain information and context about the documents. Reporters and editors are expecting to receive additional documents for at least the next couple of weeks. These are all documents that Haugen, the whistleblower, has submitted to the SEC. And you say, how come? Well, she's she's made a series of whistleblower complaints with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. It's unclear whether the SEC will take on this case, whether they'll pursue any action, including against Zuckerberg personally. The allegations made by the whistleblower represent arguably, says the Washington Post, the most profound challenge to Zuckerberg's leadership to date. Now, when the Wall Street Journal first started to report. We didn't know the name Francis Halgen, but the Wall Street Journal had this story initially. And when they first broke the story, I focused, many focused, because that was where the journal was going on the algorithm issue. You know, what determines the order in which you receive your data? How do your previous interests then lead to what Facebook is going to feed you? And how does that all relate to the climate of incivility that is so dominant in our politics? That's where my focus was. Additionally, there was a lot of focus on just hate speech generally and Facebook's regulatory or lack of regulatory role. You know that Zuckerberg testified before Congress that the company removes 94% of hate speech it finds before a human reports it, that's important. Internal documents say that its researchers estimated, Facebook's own researchers estimated, that the company was removing less than 5% of hate speech that is on Facebook. So that's where we've been up until now. But the reason that today I want to make the argument that Zuckerberg is the most powerful person on the planet and we need to be concerned And it's not so much because of Zuckerberg personally. It's not because of any quality or trait that he has. It's just about such a concentration of power in any individual's hands. Any unelected individual's hands is problematic for the reasons I'm now going to explain. Again, up until now, it's been the algorithm, hate at home. How did this impact the 2016 election, the 2020 election, the aftermath of the election? Here's a summary from the Washington Post of of, of what I'm talking about when I say it's much bigger than that. It's much more global than all of that. From the Washington Post, a personal decision by Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg leads to a crackdown on dissent in Vietnam. Measures to suppress hateful, deceptive content are lifted after the American presidential election in 2020, as pro-Trump groups disputing the legitimacy of the election experience, meteoric growth. A dummy test, a dummy test account 
on Facebook in India is flooded with violent anti-Muslim propaganda, which remains visible for weeks on the real account of a frightened Muslim college student in northern India. In other words, Facebook is dictating the terms of speech all around the planet and having immense impact on government, democratic and otherwise. You already know, and we've already talked about how, during the run-up to the 2020 presidential election, the social media giant dialed up efforts to police content that promoted violence and misinformation and hate speech. But after November 6, based on the documents that Francis Haugen has put in play, we now know Facebook rolled back dozens of measures aimed at safeguarding U.S. users. A ban on the main Stop the Steal group didn't apply to dozens of lookalike groups by way of illustration. So I'd like to say we already know the impact that Facebook is having on our democracy. But for all of Facebook's troubles in North America, its problems with hate speech and misinformation are dramatically worse in the developing world. And one of the reasons seems to be, I mean, the big reason is they've got too many users. They can't properly police all the content on their platform. And no amount of artificial intelligence seems capable of doing the job that's necessary. Here's an illustration. Vietnam. I made reference to Vietnam. Okay, this is from this is from the Washington Post summary of what we now know about Facebook and Vietnam in very simplistic terms. Late last year, Mark Zuckerberg faced a choice. Comply with demands from Vietnam's ruling Communist Party to censor anti-government dissidents or risk getting knocked offline in one of Facebook's most lucrative Asian markets. That, that's the task that Zuckerberg had. In America, the tech CEO is the champion of free speech, reluctant to remove even malicious and misleading content from the platform. But in Vietnam, upholding the free speech rights of people who question government leaders could have come with a significant cost in a country where the social network earns more than one billion in annual revenue. So Zuckerberg personally decided one man decides one person decides that Facebook would comply, would comply with Hanoi's demands. These are uh, uh, sourced documents from Francis Haugen, as well as individuals who've backed them up for the post. Ahead of Vietnam's party congress in January, Facebook significantly increased censorship of anti-state posts, giving the government near total control over the platform, according to local activists and free speech advocates. So, bottom line, he capitulated. Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Facebook knew that it was being used to incite violence in Ethiopia. It did little to stop the spread, so say these documents. Facebook employees repeatedly sounded the alarm on the company's failure to curb the spread of posts inciting violence in at-risk countries like Ethiopia. These are CNN's reports I'm now sharing with you. The social media giant ranks Ethiopia in its highest priority tier for countries at risk of conflict, but the documents reveal Facebook's moderation efforts were no match for the flood of inflammatory content on its platform. Facebook's team shared documents, an internal report with CNN, coordinated social harm was the title of it. 
The report was distributed in March. It said that armed groups in Ethiopia were using the platform to incite violence against ethnic minorities in the context of civil war. At the time, a conflict in the country's northern Tigray region between its former ruling party and the Ethiopian government had been rumbling on for five months. Intermittent Internet blackouts and media restrictions had obscured much of the fighting. Again, Facebook determining what information is shared amidst that conflict in Ethiopia. India. In India, documents show that Facebook employees debated last March whether they could clamp down on fear-mongering anti-Muslim narratives that the prime minister's far-right Hindu nationalist group was broadcasting on its platform. In one document, the company notes that users linked to Modi's party had created multiple accounts to supercharge the spread of Islamophobic content. Much of this content was never flagged or actioned because Facebook lacked moderators and automated filters with knowledge of Hindi and Bengali. They didn't know the language. They didn't have the AI that was attuned to the language. They couldn't regulate the hate speech. Do you want more? One more. Human uh, trafficking. The company has known about human traffickers using its platform in a way since at least 2018, the documents show. It had gotten so bad that in 2019, Apple threatened to pull Facebook and Instagram's access to the App Store. Such was the concern over human trafficking. Facebook documents describe women trafficked in this way being subjected to physical and sexual abuse, being deprived of food and pay, having their travel documents confiscated so they can't escape, Earlier this year, an internal Facebook report noted that gaps still exist in the detection of on-platform entities engaged in domestic servitude. I could go on and on and on. The Facebook documents that you're seeing headlines about in today's media contain these stories and much, much more. Now a curiosity. You're saying, well, wow, what impact is that having on Facebook's business? Uh, well, Facebook shares are up nearly 2% in after-hours trading. The company's quarterly earnings report showed $29 billion in revenue for the three months that ended in September. That's up from 35... That's up 35% from last year. The company posted nearly $9.2 billion in profit, up 17% from the year prior, and the number of people using Facebook's family of apps grew 12% year-over-year, to nearly 3.6 billion during the quarter. That's 3.6 billion on a planet that houses 7.8 billion. I, I can't think of anything else. Can you? Can you think of any other product that so unites the planet? How many of us drink Coca-Cola or Pepsi? I don't think it's 3.6 billion of 7.8 billion. Look, I I am probably not. I am probably not one of the 76 most powerful people in the city of Philadelphia. But I'm telling you, Mark Zuckerberg is the most powerful person on the planet. That's the easy assessment. The more difficult question is whether anything can or needs to be done about it. He's built something so big that were the SEC to remove him, somebody else or some other group of people would be able to fill that vacuum and they would then wield that power. And if you were to break it up, I don't know, could it be replicated by some other platform, some other information source? 
Is there any solution to the type of concentration of power that we are now seeing exhibited in all of these documents that Francis Haugen has brought to light? Mark Zuckerberg is the most powerful person on the planet, and he is shaping the course of human events unlike anyone in our history. That's my argument, and I'm sticking to it. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east, or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish, for independent minds. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.